Welcome to episode two of A Shortcut Podcast. At Shortcut, we make apps for life. This means we're passionate about making mobile experiences that improve lives in ways large and small. My name is Jack, and I'm a developer in Sweden. I have a long background of doing all sorts of development, mostly iOS-related the past 15 years or so, and I'm currently CTO of Shortcut Sweden. Previously on this podcast, we've talked a lot about iOS and other Apple technologies. And for our second full episode, we're going to discuss... Uh, a few other things. We're going to look at what's going on in the Android world, because that's a huge part of what we do at Shortcut, as well as other technologies from Google that go beyond just Android. So to help me with this, I have some developers who have a lot of Android expertise, and also recently attended Google I.O. Connect in Amsterdam. I have Daniela here from Sweden, and I have Cosman from Romania. Hi, I'm Daniela, Android engineer from Shortcut. We then have been dealing with Android native development for almost seven years. And I'm Kosmin. Uh, I've been an Android engineer for a bit more than 13 years now, and um, I'm currently sp splitting my work between uh, both engineering and management in Shortcuts Bucharest office. Cool. Welcome, both of you. I'm glad to have you both here. Good to be here. So let's jump into Google I.O. Connect, which you guys were just at. I know this is sort of a, a follow-on event that follows the Google I.O., which was happened a month or two ago. Can you guys tell, me, tell us a little bit about what is the focus of this event and the purpose of this event compared to Google I.O. itself? So uh, Google I.O. is uh, the annual dev developer conference that's hosted by Google. And that's the big event that they host uh, early May. And uh, ever since the pandemic, they switched to this online format for it. And now it's a limited in-person event. Uh, but that's why they uh, made this Google I.O. Connect event uh, in order for people to connect a bit more, to find out about the technologies and meet other uh, fellow developers. And uh, they've been doing it on four city in four cities this year, as far as I, I know. Mm -hmm. There's uh, we've been to the one in Amsterdam. Uh, there's been one on each of the big continents, and uh, we'll uh, we'll see how it happens or what will happen in the next uh, next few years. Okay, cool. And uh, had either of you ever been to one of these? Google I.O. Connect events before, or is that new this year, actually? It's actually the first year they're running this uh, this format. Um, I, I had actually been to the large Google I.O. before 2019 mm -hmm. to uh, three editions. And um, I can say that it's been really lovely to see the event in person again yeah. and to have all those uh, experiences with uh, talking with engineers and fellow uh, developers and uh, demos and all that. I think that's the best part of attending such events that you get a chance to chat with people working on those products. So for example, at Google IO Connect, uh, the one in Amsterdam where me and Daniele have been, uh, there were little demo stands for the different products that uh, Google has. Um, and also demo stands from um, other um, companies or partners. And it's really good to go there and have a discussion with the engineers, find out stuff that's maybe not uh, not very well explained on the documentation pages or mm -hmm. about the new announcements and all that. Yeah, and I haven't been to any of Google I.O., but I've been also told that this Google I.O. Connect is where Google tries to bring the real Google I.O. experience to different continents, as Cosmin said. Mm -hmm. And actually, these events have to have a really nice venue, mm -hmm. which is important, I, I believe, in order to make people to feel more comfortable and happy on joining the event. Nice venue, nice food, and nice folks to talk with and connect with. So I think that's important, too. Yeah, I think that's a really great thing, and that's something that... Apple is kind of lacking. WWDC is great, but it's one big event that is in 
you know, in California. And it's a, it's a big trip for a lot of people to get there. And it's expensive to go there, expensive to stay in hotels. And I think having this kind of uh, event spread across the world in, in more physical locations is really great for a lot of people. Um, Apple has done this on small scales with these sort of traveling tech talks, but that's just you sign up and you're in a room with maybe 100 people and they're presenting some things. Whereas this is more like the Google I.O. Connect seems like it's a just a slightly smaller version of the full Google I, Google I.O. experience with all of the availability of engineers and things. Yeah, it is actually one day comparing to the three days mm. of Google I.O., right, Cosmin? Yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, you have most of the content in one day. Of course, it's sort of say squeezed in mm. one day, but you can read and listen and uh, talk with Google DevRels about everything Google presented at the Google I.O. a few months back, actually one month back. And I think they also put a lot of emphasis on these spaces where people can connect. So, for example, this year they had uh, the location was really nice. It was at the sugar factory in Amsterdam. Uh, and they organized a bunch of uh, areas where people could hang out and connect and chat. They had a, a small beach area. They had a small lounge, different places where you could talk either with uh, developers or other engineers, but also with uh, people from Google or from their other partners. And the fact that they actually put a lot of focus on the connect part, I think that's really great. Yeah, I think because that is one of the big things of, as you said, being at a place like this is you meet other people and it's not just about what Google is presenting, it's about what others are doing as well. But that being said, what Google presents is a big part of it. So if you look at Google I.O. Connect and looking back to Google I.O. this year, do you guys see some particular, like what are the big themes? What are the big areas that Google is mostly talking about, would you say? Yes, one of the first topic we can bring up is the foldable devices and large screens. Mm -hmm. um, also this year, Google presented a new Google Pixel tablet and also the Pixel Fold, right. um, which is a new foldable device, um, which can become large mm -hmm. <laughs> if you fold it. <laughs> If you can open it. And uh, yes, at the same time, Google is putting a lot of effort, not just in making good hardware, better hardware, mm -hmm. uh, but also in improving the software, the way developers can speed up their development in order to write better code and design better layout for these devices. Okay. I think it's actually uh, because they uh, they have a big uh, they have a really push, big push on this, and they've also done a bunch of research on the effects of uh, designing and preparing apps for the foldables and large screens on actual business. They came up with a bunch of interesting statistics. Um, so, for example, they gave the sample of a, an app called Concepts app. It's a digital illustration app, and uh, based on the statistics, it actually had an increase of more than 70% of the time spent in the app when the app was ported and properly implemented on large screens than on phones. Of course, it definitely makes sense a lot for a design uh, app mm. to be used on uh, on like a large screen, but I think it's something they've been pushing for, for all kinds of apps to adapt to the large screen experiences. Sure, and that makes perfect sense. So the same thing holds true, I think, in the, in the iOS world. If you're primarily an iPad user, and you have the choice between an app that is just built for iPhone and simply expands on your screen versus one that actually makes use of the large screen, you'll use you'll prefer to use the one that fits the environment. So I think it's to everyone's benefit always to consider, okay, where might people be using this beyond just a small phone in their hands? This is what I feel like 
unfortunately, too many companies don't get right or make make the choice to say, well, let's think about that later. Let's focus on this now and think about that later. And I think it's frustrating. It can be frustrating as a developer to see, okay, I know that if we put in 5% more, 10% more effort here, we would get this thing nice on a big screen and to be stopped somewhere. This is a conversation that I've had often with many clients and also employers that worked out in the past. Well, that, that's typically the case. One thing I've noticed is that they push a lot for this this year, as, at least compared to previous years. Mm-hmm. And they even have a bunch of talks on uh, different topics that should help us as developers and uh, our fellow UX and UI designers, product managers, adapt the apps for the um, large screen uh, interfaces. And for example, just... Um, to mention one of these, they talk a lot about this continuity and multitasking. Mm-hmm. And this has to do with how you actually adapt your app and design it for the situation when you're, when you're running it on a foldable. Okay. Because in this case, people tend way more often to open the tablet like or like turn it around, rotate it and all that. And the experience has to be very well uh, constructed for things to be seamless and for the users to get the right uh, perspective and um, experience when using the app. And like uh, another example is the camera orient- orientation. Uh, you could just have your app uh, grow full screen and stick, stick in portrait mode. But in the case of foldables, it's a bit uh, odd that sometimes the orientation of the device, as you see it, is different from the orientation of, of uh, the camera. Mm-hmm. When you open a foldable, the camera is actually, if you think about it, it stays on the other direction. And this is something that needs to be taken care uh, of in the app during development, because otherwise users will be very confused by uh, looking at the phone in one direction and the camera uh, showing in the other other one. Yes, and at the same time, for these reasons, Google is putting a lot of effort in this design, mm-hmm. in particular the the material design that we use for uh, developing apps, but not just mobile apps, web apps as well, and desktop apps. And there is a new section on their website uh, in relation to this large screens and foldable devices with all a new set of guidelines, for example, and uh, perhaps components as well, Mm -hmm. especially for foldable devices. So that's interesting as well. Are there different sort of like navigation guidelines and things when you're dealing with foldables and large screens in particular? Yes, there are. Okay. And there's also a, a whole set of tooling for input methods. Up until now, people were using phones, which just had like touch as the input mechanism. Mm. Now they added uh, all kinds of tools for the different uh, input methods that are usable with large screen devices. For example, stylus, uh, for example, external keyboards. Um, these make a lot of sense for large screens and tablets. So that's why uh, they're putting a lot of effort into making sure we as developers have a simpler life integrating those tools in, in there. Okay. And speaking of that, there was one note we had in the show notes here about perhaps the largest sort of large screen, Android TV. How does this tie into this? Say you're making an app experience where you know today we have... We have a phone app, but it's for a streaming service. And so we know we want to support tablets fully. And also, of course, Android TV. Is there a way, is there, is there a unified approach these days to be able to write kind of a lot of the, some of the same code to reuse for the same, for different devices? Yes, exactly. And uh, we can use Chatbot Compose for writing layouts code for all of these platforms, large mm-hmm. screens, uh, foldables, uh, tablets, and uh, Android TV, as you mentioned, Jack. Mm. Um, yes, we can write Jetpack Compose. So one code, one library, let's say, for all platforms. This is what Google is aiming to. I thought I was sensing a 
but was about to come out of you. It was uh, wrong. No, <laughs> but okay. no, but the cool the cool thing I would say is that is continuously evolving every right. month yeah. because you are having an update of Chatbot Compose now. Not going too much into tech, but every month there is a new update with okay. new components, new. Uh, bug fixes and uh, new adjustments mm. and this makes life easier to developers and also brings a better experience to users right and uh, i truly believe our customers should be aware of it mm -hmm. and most of them they are not yet aware of it right uh, it's not just a matter of uh, you know you have an idea and you want to build this cool app but it's also a matter to use the right tech setup right Right, and one of the things that I think is interesting about Jetpack Compose also, in fact, well, with a lot of features on Android is that they are very often able to be back deployed to many older OS versions, which is something we don't really have in the iOS world. So let's say that uh, someone today has an app that, they're, that, that we're building for them or they're building themselves, and they, uh, they discover there is this new thing. They say, oh, you, or say you mentioned, hey, there's a new feature in Jetpack Compose. How do we communicate to, to people that this is something that you can actually use in your app today? There's no real hinder to start using this now because it will be available to everyone running this. Because I think this is something that I think for better or for worse, a lot of people are, a lot of companies are familiar with the iPhone more than with Android, especially if we're talking about in Northern Western Europe. And the, I, the iOS world is very much constrained to these annual releases where you know, new features come out once a year. And with that, it's always tied to, oh, it only works typically on this latest OS, which means you're locking out old phones, et cetera. What would you guys say is a good way to, to uh, talk about this with clients or with, you know, with anybody who's building an app around this? I would say the simplest answer and probably more silly answer is that everyone is busy uh, and uh, clients at first are mostly busy with their own business and they suddenly recognize that, oh, now we need to implement this new cool stuff, but that might be too late already. Mm. So we need to act now because now we have time because the technology is sort to say new. And so we have time now to implement it uh, mm. without waiting a lot of time. So that's my first suggestion to our clients mm -hmm. think ahead of time to mm. things and to listen to our suggestions yeah uh, one one thing to keep in mind is that uh, there's already 250 million devices that are large screens running android right now if we also count in uh, chrome os uh, and like the tablets and foldables and all that and over the past few years i would say there has been a huge push in this direction both from google uh, also from microsoft uh, surprisingly and there, it seems to be a trend that they're definitely trying to uh, kickstart uh, at least on the android side where it's been a bit, let's say, more silent over the past few years. Not a lot has mm -hmm. happened in the space. Now it seems that there's a lot of uh, effort being put into making it really easy for us as a mobile agency to build products that are adapted for large screens and for foldables and all that. And if uh, this trend continues, I think it's a huge benefit for our clients to build for, for tablets as well, because always an experience that's been specifically designed for a large screen feels way better, feels way more professional for the end users. And that's what we're looking for after all. I think I've had the impression in the past that, and again, I'm not an Android developer, but the impression that I've got from others is that the Android TV experience from a developer standpoint kind of felt like a 
forgotten cousin sometimes. Like so much focuses on Android OS in your phone that not all the best capabilities were put into the TV version. So I think it's great if they are focusing on this now and enabling us to, in a more straightforward way, make have one code base that we can share across across multiple things. It makes us makes it a lot easier for us to develop interesting and rich apps that are that apply on all of these platforms. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's uh, where it's going. I think there's a lot of push on this, and uh, it it actually goes the other way as like the other size as well. Uh, they're also uh, add, adding a lot of functionality for designing for the Wear OS for the watch, mm-hmm. and um, in like as uh, Daniela said a bit earlier, it's really great to have a l- full spectrum of of screens that you can target your uh, app to. And um, the thing that Android team and Google has really been great at, uh, at least over the past few years, is this backwards compatibility. So you can actually use one of some of the latest tools like the Jetpack Compose and uh, some other libraries in Android X to mm-hmm. uh, target Android devices that have been released just four years ago, five years ago, with basically getting the same functionality and latest uh, tooling in there. Right. Which is really great. And that should be a hint for us that we can easily design and prepare and build for all devices out there. Yeah. And I think it's also really important to, you know, to consider that when we're talking to people about what we can build, that even if we are, we have spots where we're limited in some ways, we can always make things using the new technologies that will work on the newest devices and provide other, other ways or simply leaving some features out on older devices. There's always possible to build things, but we don't have to lock out everybody running an older device in order to make, to use new features necessarily. Exactly. One other thing that, that I have seen mention of that I wanted to talk about is uh, the uh, Health Connect. And I've seen, I know there were some announcements made about this. Um, and I, again, mostly as an iOS developer, I'm familiar with Apple's, with what Apple does in this space. So I don't really know what Android has done so far, what Google has done so far, you know, what versus what is new this year that they've announced? So um, Health Connect is actually this new um, system that they're trying to create for apps to share data in a private uh, and secure way between apps, Mm -hmm. between different apps. This has been uh, lacking, I would say, on the Android uh, system for like up until recently. And this is something that will open up uh, the door for a lot of nice features in apps and the user experience for the clients uh, and for the end users should be really um, improved after this. The the main idea is that um, with users' uh, permission, developers can securely access data that's been created from a different app on the device. Mm -hmm. So let's say you're using a watch, like a tracker, which puts in information about your uh, your activity, about how much you've been walking, running, and uh, exercising. Then you have another, uh, let's say, maybe a sensor, one of those uh, sensors that uh, measure your uh, glucose level in the blood. Mm -hmm. And then you can have a third app which uses both those informations together with a huge database of, uh, I don't know, recipes and creates a diet for you based on your actual profile. Health Connect is basically a bunch of APIs that allow us as developers to read uh, health data from uh, other apps in a secure way. Basically, the users have to give permissions. They can select what kind of data, only subsets, uh, for how long and all that, um, and give permission to only the apps they uh, want to. Right, good. So basically, there's a some kind of shared secure database that apps can 
opt into using with user permission. Exactly. And up until now, yeah. each, each let's say, major manufacturer has had their own system. So, for example, Samsung had had uh, their Samsung Health, I think it's called. Okay. Uh, there was something from Google. I think Xiaomi had their own system. And now what they're trying to do is to have this uh, core system that's built with privacy and security in mind. And uh, the interesting bit is that it's going to be part of the core platform starting with Android 14, mm -hmm. which okay. means it's going to be a settings uh, panel in the operating systems settings page. It's uh, a core functionality on, on that, which is really great. And it sh it will help us build really great experiences from uh, from based on health data. Yeah, I think this is, you know, this one we've had on, on Apple's platforms for a while, which is, and that, that has been really useful. And it's, it is nice to have this uh, core system level feature where, you know, as an app developer, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to, you don't have to think about, oh, am I going to store health data somewhere? And if so, how do I make that available to someone else or keep it secret from someone else or whatever? To have this as a system provided thing is going to be very, very useful for a lot of things we're doing because we have a lot, we have a strong focus on trying to build healthcare apps and other things where we're trying to, we're trying to improve people's lives. And one way of doing that is obviously through health. So I'm um, Glad to hear they're moving forward on that. I was thinking about the uh, Google Wallet, that there's some new APIs around this, because I know Google Wallet has been around for a long time. What is uh, what is changing there that's going to make things better for us? Yeah, so Google Wallet, well, we know what, what it is. It's just a digital wallet of, I don't know, boarding passes, uh, event tickets, hmm. what else, uh, bank cards, and so forth. Uh, but now Google is again trying to simplify the way we developers can develop this uh, integration with Google Wallet and also giving us open to us more opportunities to create like generic passes for example uh, let's say you want to shop to H&M mm -hmm. uh, you can create uh, your own uh, customer fidelity QR code or barcode in okay. order to simplify your purchase in the store okay um, and not just that but anyway yeah this year and continuously, anyway, Google is trying to improve the way we can integrate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is something that I feel like I have not been involved in so many projects where we've used Google Wallet or Apple Wallet. It's something that it comes up now and then, and it is good. For, it is great for you know tickets for events, that kind of thing. I see that uh, Daniela, you had an idea here about uh, using the the wallet to make, to contain a ticket for an appointment. Yeah, that's also another use case. For example, every time you go to the doctor, what you need to do, you answer, right? You have a, a receptionist and you, you talk with him, her, and you, you, you remind, uh, you ask for the appointment with the doctor. But in the best scenario, you can just show up your phone mm -hmm. and show the QR code barcode whatever it is and then you have access to the doctor directly and in a faster way right yeah that could be nice to have sort of an automated check-in experience at a doctor so you know they can have a receptionist who will answer questions if you need to but if you're just there for an appointment and you want to let them know you're there scan a qr code off of your phone that you have through the through the wallet app would be a really straightforward way to you know without even talking to anybody let, let them know you're there and then they can they can send you a uh, they can send you a push message when <laughs> when it's time for you to go in. Yes, and at the same time you can integrate this with the uh, wearable devices. Mm -hmm. So it's not not just about your phones, but it also can be implemented in, in the smaller devices that you can bring with you every day as well. Mm -hmm. 
and again it makes life easier to our users right, right. or at least for some of them right mostly most of them hopefully most of hopefully. them <laughs> speaking of wearable devices um you know, I'm again. I'm coming from the iOS side of things, and a lot of us iOS people have been uh, using Apple Watch for a while. And I can still feel sometimes that even after what has it been seven or eight years, the Apple Watch has been out. That I always feel like that the some of the integrations are lacking. There are a lot of apps that could have an Apple Watch component that still don't. And I feel like. In the Android market, where things are even a little bit more fragmented because there are different hardware manufacturers, that it may be even more complicated. What is, what is the experience you guys have of using uh, wearable Android devices and how well these things are supported? And what, you know, are there things that that various apps or companies could think about expanding into this in some way that they're not doing? It's becoming better and better. Okay. I must say Google is investing a lot of it mm -hmm. on it. Sorry, and not just Google, but also the main, uh, the main um, actors in the business, right. Samsung, for instance. They are really investing a lot of wearables and not just watches, but different wearables anyway. Mm -hmm. And so the experience is becoming better and better. Again, not just for our users and users first, which is the most important thing because they bring revenue, of course, mm -hmm. but also for developers. Uh, going back to the previous discussion we had with Jetpack Compose, um, there's this uh, tooling for building for Wear OS. Uh, it's called Glance, if uh, if I'm not mistaken, and kind of goes on the same concept that uh, we discussed during the foldables. They're coming with a whole set of components and tooling f to make life easier for us as a product uh, development company to build products and to create uh, the great experiences that our users deserve. And yeah, there's been a lot of push. It's been way more fragmented, as Daniele said earlier. But personally, I think that's going to change in the next uh, next period. Okay. Yeah, interesting. I think, yeah, just as we were talking about lar the large screens and the foldable screens, the more we can use some common technologies to make things across all types of screens and all types of devices, the easier things are going to be for all of us to to work moving forward. I would actually add one interesting aspect uh, aspect that I've noticed uh, time and time when discussing with our clients, which is this feature parity, not, all, uh, not only in the platform, but also across platforms. So uh, for example, we've had uh, instant apps for Android for like many years. Mm. Uh, inst recently, Apple announced the app clips and mm. this makes it a good moment for us to start building that for, for all our uh, customers. Mm. Um, it's a prime example uh, of a situation when we don't need to wait for one of the platforms. Right. What we've noticed is that uh, some of our clients um, feel way more confident to start implementing a new uh, feature or a new application or a new set of um, interfaces in the apps when they can be done on both platforms. And I think this is something we should uh, really keep in mind. And we should be, for example, very happy that the Health Connect is out there now because uh, you said you've had that in the Apple environment for quite a few, some time. Mm -hmm. Now uh, we have Health Connect on Android as well, so we can build this feature parity even across uh, the iOS and Android uh, ecosystems. And this applies to many things like, uh, yeah, tablets and uh, watches and app clips and all that. Yeah, that's a very good point. I know that we've had discussions before sometimes with uh, somebody wants to build an app and we talk about some potential features. And if these features can only be done on one platform or the other, they would say, sorry, we'd just rather not do it. We, if we can't do this on both platforms, we don't want to have everyone from the other platform 
complaining at us and feeling that we have a bad product because we're not doing what what the other one supports. So if we, when we have these sort of baseline things that we can build on top of that are similar for both, that's a big a big help for us going forward. And one area that uh, is kind of, I know is moving forward at about the same time in both of these is pass keys, which is a very interesting technology that I think really was announced last year, if I'm not mistaken. It was announced last year, yes. But now it's actually, you can use it. Um, there are plenty of documentations around, mm -hmm. uh, official documentations. And uh, and yeah, there's something you have on iOS, yeah. Apple devices as well. Right? Yeah, and I think this is, this is interesting because it feels like it's kind of an industry-wide initiative that's rolling out on several fronts at once. And for those who don't know, passkeys is a technology that lets you lets users avoid having passwords. And instead you have a digitally secure key that is stored in the uh, secure part of your device. So you don't have a password that you have to remember or save in a password manager. It cannot be stolen because it's only in your device. And it seems like Apple and Google are beginning to roll out support for this more or less simultaneously. It's available in both platforms now. Implementing this in a system usually requires that the backend would need to be changed also to support this in some way. But I believe, for instance, uh, that Firebase has support for this already, I believe? Not yet. Not yet. It, it will come soon. Okay. Uh, Firebase and Google Cloud support for those platforms will come soon. Okay, this year, soon. Hopefully. But the important thing, I believe, about this, which is related to Apple as well, is that it's built with safety and security for the end users in mind right. at first, because when you create this digital credential for logging in, mm. signing in, it, it is not shared across the network for all of your devices, but it is just on your single device. Right. Even if you can log in using a website in a desktop mm. um, computer, a remote computer, let's say you can do it, but uh, your device has to be, your phone has mm -hmm. to be nearby in order to locally share this information in order to let you log in. Right. And this is really important, I believe, again, uh, Google is trying uh, with all of these products past year and this year to have safety and security in mind mm -hmm. because that's also a huge topic in this years, I believe, uh, in Europe in yeah. particular, <laughs> but all over the world also. But I think in general, that I think once we get to the point of where we have implemented and are using pass keys everywhere, I think people will, will look back at the days of passwords that we had to remember or save somewhere and think, wow, that was a really primitive way of doing things. So yeah, this is something that I think is, again, one of these things that is great to have on both platforms. And it's great that these things are rolling out on both platforms at about the same time, that no one is lagging behind. Yeah, this is funny, actually. Uh, iOS and Android developers might be friends one day. <laughs> this, this is really funny, actually. And... Uh, just to wrap up this passkey um, topic, it's not just about, yes, it's super important, security, privacy, whatever, uh, but it's also about continuity of the user flow, your user experience while using uh, uh, this uh, Android or desktop devices. So uh, we mentioned before continuity when we were talking about foldable devices, so the continuity in terms of layout, but here mm -hmm. continuity is about uh, the user journey. When the user wants to log in in mm -hmm. a website, for example, uh, the user can use the phone with a biometric, a fingerprint scan, whatever the security is in place, 
the user can log in it's in actually five up to five seconds or so mm -hmm. yeah again the war continuity is also a great war for this right. year that google is putting okay. uh, you know attention in yeah. it and actually i like it i like the way the way google is thinking and so you're talking about your what you're referencing here again is like you're on your desktop your laptop you're logging in and you can use your phone as a as sort of a you know a two-factor thing but it's integrated so you don't have to sort of like do the steps that we're doing today. yeah exactly so you are making the user experience better right. uh, without locking the user because uh, he he or she needs to think about username password you know and uh, right you don't remember things and you waste time basically is this uh the use of this term continuity is this something that google has been using in the past because on the ios side of things apple's been talking about they have a set of technologies they refer to as continuity that is also about across devices. So the idea is if I'm on a FaceTime call on my phone and then I open up my laptop that I can sort of hand that call over to my laptop. Yeah, the handoff yeah. function. Yeah. Um, yeah, actually it's the first here. I'm uh, seeing a lot of usage of okay. this word uh, by Google, hmm. but it's a good start. Yeah. Yeah, because I think it, it is important. You know, we have all these devices and I'm sure a lot of people have seen the, uh, you know, from 10 or 15 years ago, the uh, the Iron Man movies, right? Tony Stark has his devices and he can sort of just like throw things from one from his uh, from his phone to a screen somewhere and have everything all connected. And this is like this is kind of the dream of continuity, right? Of having a bunch of devices that all recognize each other and can work together. And this is an area where, you know, Apple can do certain things here more easily, in a sense, if they have control of hardware and OSs um, between Macs and iPhones. But obviously, if we, the more we can get Android devices to also be a part of this equation, the better it is for everybody. The more we can have things that um, where multiple systems that you're using can integrate together in a way that is safe and secure and provide value for users is a great thing to be able to move forward towards. All right, let's move on to another big topic from Google I.O. this year, which is AI. Google is obviously doing a lot of work around machine learning and uh, related technologies. And I know they announced some things about Android Studio Bot and some other tools that will help developers specifically. What are your impressions of what you've seen there so far? I think uh, this year uh, Google has, in a way, followed a bit the trend that we've uh, all been that we're all aware of uh, from the beginning of the year. There's been a lot of talks in the industry about uh, AI, about machine learning, and about language models. And what I think they come uh, came up with was a lot of tooling to help us developers build great products. There's on one side the uh, external facing tooling that we can already use as such as uh, the Bard and such as uh, Android Studio Bot. But there's also a whole set of tooling they have in, inside Google Cloud that allows us to create these experiences for our end users after all. To maybe start with Studio Bot, uh, like on, on that side, like Studio Bot is this tool they added in uh, Android Studio to help us developers write code faster, find response to certain queries we might have. Uh, basically, it's, it's, a, yeah, it's a language uh, model that helps us uh, write code better. Okay, similar to like GitHub Copilot in a way, I suppose. Yeah, it's very much similar to that. Uh, unfortunately, it's not available yet in Europe. Uh, they're planning on doing uh, the release uh, very soon here as well. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm really excited to give it a spin and see uh, how it can help us. Daniel, have you had an ex any chance of playing around with uh, this or Copilot? No, not yet. Uh, but I have heard 
um, talking about Android Studio Bot, it will mostly help at least at the beginning junior developers to speed mm-hmm. up their daily tasks. So this is the what, what Google is aiming for is not so powerful as GitHub Copilot so okay. far, but it will in the future for sure. Okay, interesting. And on, on the other side, so this is one of the tools we can use as developers to make our lives when coding uh, simpler. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other direction I was mentioning is the whole set of announcements they made with regards to AI and machine learning as tools uh tools of the trade for us for building the experiences. And I have a couple of examples here. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the most exciting ones was uh, they announced something called Palm 2. Palm comes from Pathways language model. Uh, they had a previous version, but this year they announced Palm 2. And uh, this is basically uh, a state-of-the-art language model. Mm-hmm. And what they are arguing is that this one has a very powerful and improved uh, multilingual support. It has uh, very good reasoning and coding capabilities, Okay, which means it should help us build all kinds of experiences that also take reasoning into account. It can also help with coding and all that. And what I think they, they've done a really good job at is to make these models and the tooling to build uh, AI-based experiences to make all this very accessible for for engineering teams across uh, across companies. Yeah, I think this is this is really great and makes life easier because you can start adding nice features. For example, in uh, in our apps, in mobile apps, we can already start building chatbots or language model-based uh, tools that are personalized and customized on the actual business cases. Okay. So as a, as a simple example, they 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 make it really easy for for us uh, as engineers to uh, build a chatbot based on the knowledge graph of our company. So let's say we have a company website mm-hmm. which describes our products, which has a bunch of documentation, which describes uh, different um, scenarios. It has frequently asked questions and all that. They make it quite easy to crawl that website and uh, gather information. Mm-hmm. They base it on this poem too. So they have this base language model that they augment which with the new information that's been crawled from the website. And then you end up with, a let's say, chatbot or a language model that can generate uh, text and also has the information and the um, knowledge of your product, your uh, frequently asked questions, the documentation, and everything you need to do. And this is something that uh, should be really, really great for uh, us moving forward. Okay, and the idea is you can make this model with these tools they've created and easily deploy it on Google Cloud, and then we can make an API if we run somewhere that interfaces with this. Exactly, exactly. And they have actually different tiers of this. Uh, They have, uh, you can start from really low level where you can actually fully train your machine learning model, your neural link, mm-hmm. but they can also, they have tools that are built on top of that, which makes it easier and easier. And uh, I want to mention just uh, one of these, let's say top level tools, it's called Dialogflow. Mm-hmm. And I, I witnessed a demo uh, at uh, Connect in Amsterdam, and I was really um, surprised by how easy it was for the, for the engineer there to do exactly what I mentioned earlier. So they uh, gave it an input, uh, a website which had a bunch of documentation about one of their products. And then once that was, uh, the crawling was done automatically, that generated a new uh, model. And after that, this actually was transformed into a voice 
a voice-based support agent. So uh, okay. again, making they made it really easy in the sense that uh, just with a few uh, configuration steps, they had a voice agent ready to set up and live, he actually called it, he called a number, uh, the agent answered, and then there was a nice conversation about the products that the company had and very, very specific to that. That's And this was really exciting. And I think experiences like this are ones that we should start adding into also the apps we're building for our clients. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, imagine all kinds of uh, generative, uh, like either chats or gener- generated content inside there to make life easier both for our end users after all, but also maybe for the support team or for the um, uh, help desk and everything that's uh, surrounding this uh, this topic. Yeah, and it's not just about cloud, but also we can use ML pre-train, ML set uh, offline. So basically you build your own ML set based on your app call, I don't mm-hmm. know, whatever it is, and then you you deploy it directly into your uh, phone through the play services, mm-hmm. and then you can use it offline. So let's say you are around the mountains in a high altitude without network or in the open sea right. without network, and you can use this ML to scan things to to help you out with any kind of use case. I don't even know which one right now, but this is cool as well. Yeah. It's slightly less powerful than mm. the cloud ML, but still it brings um, value. Yeah, yeah. I mean, on a modern phone with modern CPUs and things, and this is something that I, I know Apple has had for a while. They have their thing they call the neural engine, which has you know uses multiple sort of small cores to be able to evaluate these things. One thing that I think would be super interesting is for us to look into how can we train models that we can, as a simple matter of configuration, choose where and how to deploy this. We could train a model that we can choose to deploy on the cloud and deploy on Android and iOS devices directly. So, um, for example, uh, when I mentioned a bit earlier, the Palm 2, mm-hmm. one thing they did was they actually uh, created more versions of this. So they have the big, uh, the big version, mm. but they also have three more versions. So in total, they made four uh, versions for the, um, the model that are different sizes. Uh-huh. Obviously, the big one should run only on the cloud, but the smallest one they built, I think it's called Palm Gecko, mm-hmm. is so lightweight that it can actually work on mobile devices. And it's really fast enough mm-hmm. for great uh, interactive applications, even offline. Mm-hmm. And they announced another thing called Maker Studio, I think, mm-hmm. which is meant to do exactly what you just said, Jack. Okay. Put in like the base model. So let's say we want to build an experience for a mobile app. Then we would uh, probably start with the Palm Gecko, the smallest model that's still very powerful, but works fine on a device. Mm. And then inside Maker Studio, we provide a bunch of data so it can actually get trained on our specific use case and our custom scenario. And then we end up with a built, like a pre-built model that we can run on devices offline. And uh, also uh, latest uh, Android uh, devices typically have a neural network uh, chip as well. I think it's called Tensor Mm -hmm. on Google Pixel devices, uh, but I think Samsung has them as well. So Mm. I think it's, uh, again, going back to that uh, feature parity between all the platforms, I think it's great that devices now have uh, machine learning chips, and this means we can run offline uh, models. And I think this is going to be something that's going to grow a lot in the next uh, couple of years for sure. Yeah, and I think it's great that Google is pushing forward on tools for this because, again, Apple announced this for iOS things a couple of years ago. And it's sort of like, yeah, there are some tools you can run on the Mac that will help you generate a model. But they haven't really like, because Apple doesn't do a ton of 
backend services or a ton of tooling beyond building apps for their platforms, there hasn't been a lot of push towards this. And I think that it kind of takes the involvement of someone else who has more of an interest of running things on on their cloud layers and such as Google wants us to do, to be able to provide a more, a broader experience and a, uh, a broader set of places where we can deploy these technologies. I think this is uh, some one of the situations where Google Cloud can definitely help. Hmm. There's also other providers out there in the market. Uh, I'm talking more about Google Cloud because I'm a bit more familiar with their products, but right. the fact that they have this full palette of services taking us from like the building of interfaces for foldables and watches and Android apps and all that, all the way to building the models and training the uh, machine learning models in the same ecosystem. I think that's a really great experience. Uh, and one thing, like like final thing I wanted to mention with regards to this is that the ho- whole tooling they have is not Android specific in any way. Basically, it's training machine learning models that end up in an API, right. uh, for example, if it's hosted on the cloud. So it can just as well uh, be used from the iOS apps or from a web app and uh all of those. Yeah, of course. Oh, you forgot Flutter. Yes, it's like Flutter as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Well, I wonder if we should move on to one more topic here before we uh, end up here today. And this is talking about, um, we want to talk about communities a bit. As we mentioned, when you go to Google I.O. or Google I, Google I.O. Connect, one of the great things about it is to be able to meet with other people. But there's a lot of other ways to meet other Android developers as well. And one thing that we've been doing a lot of within Shortcut across our countries is dealing with local Android communities. Danielle, I know that you're involved in the Google Developer Group here in Stockholm. Um, and Cosmo, I think you're involved in these, in these groups as well. And I know we've had uh, events in different, in different places. Can you guys talk a little bit about what, uh, what we've been doing so far in this space? Because again, I'm mostly focused on the iOS side of things. I'm mostly looking at those. And I'd love to hear what your impressions are of dealing with these, these events so far. Uh, maybe we can start with a small overview of uh, the, the communities. And I think uh, this is something that we encourage everyone, all the people in the space to join and like be involved in. Um, Google has uh, been sponsoring or helping with creation of uh, different communities, each of them with, let's say, different uh, goals in a way. So the most uh, common one and the most um, the, the one you can find in most uh, cities, it's something called Google Developer Groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are short, uh, the, the, the short version is GDG. And these are local uh, groups which meet up once in a while and have uh, events where uh, people share uh, their interests in technology. They do talks on certain topics and all that. Um, for example, yeah, I'm a part of the GDG uh, Bucharest um, local group here. Um, Daniele is part of the GDG in Stockholm. Our colleagues in Oslo, they're also running the GDG Android community there. Um, this is, let's say, the most uh, popular one, uh, but they also have a few more groups targeted at, for example, one is called uh, GDSC. It's Google Developer Student Clubs. Mm-hmm. It's a community for students that are interested in engineering uh, overall. Then there's uh, w- Women Techmakers, mm-hmm. and this is a community that's aimed to provide visibility, community, and resources for uh, women in technology. And uh, the latest addition to the communities that they they support is something called GDO, Google Developers Online, which is basically a Discord community that's aimed for, like, as a global community for engineers working on all kinds of uh, technologies. 
And uh, I think it's really great to be involved into in these communities because it's one like at the meetups and at the events you find out about other uh, technologies, about other tools that others are using. Uh, of course, it's also also a lot about connection and networking and uh, maybe finding projects to work with and partners for apps and and all that. Mm-hmm. Daniele, how's your how's the experience in uh, Sweden? Yes, uh, I I would say the experience is pretty good uh we have attendees from all over the city and it's actually f- really funny to organize these events but also to be part of it as speakers from time to time and also to you know improve your increase your network mm-hmm. uh, know people share knowledge and not just talk anyway about techie stuff but talk about everything and make friends that's also yeah. important um So I strongly suggest to everyone to join this kind of communities. There are plenty of them and Google is usually investing on these communities. And again, uh, just to repeat as Cosmin mentioned, (laughs) uh, Shortcut Norway, but yeah, Shortcut is also investing in this because in our Oslo office, they are uh, the main partner Right. Uh, main sponsor of this uh, GDG Oslo, Android Oslo. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I think, you know, in the iOS world, we've had these Cocoa Heads groups, which, you know, is called Cocoa Heads for historical reasons that aren't super relevant to what iOS developers are doing today anymore. But that's completely, Apple has no affiliation with that whatsoever. Like Apple is, you know, doesn't do anything to stop Cocoa Heads, but doesn't do much to help it either. What does Google do specifically to to help these these groups in terms of like, you know, do they help with uh, arranging venues, paying for venues? What do they really do? Yeah, so usually companies around the city takes the, take the opportunity to host uh, the event uh, for free for the uh, for the organizers and mm-hmm. attendees in order to you know make more visibility and uh, also get the chance to know people and you never know to hire developers, mm-hmm. good developers. Uh, but if usually you're not able to find a venue, then you can get help uh, from Google. So Google okay. might sponsor you um helping you with the venue you we have the google office in here in uh, the city in stockholm mm-hmm. and uh, also can help you with food drinks and so forth right. in connection to this um we have a nearly local event which is called dev fest mm-hmm. uh, which is going to happen between every year between uh, se- october september and february ish i don't really remember but anyway also google is usually investing in this kind of event which is supposed to uh, to to host a huge amount of attendees mm-hmm. uh, we're talking about 300 to 500 attendees so it's a big event it's, okay. and, uh, it's not just about mobile development but all right. google products so cloud firebase flutter android whatever and yeah again google is is actively investing in this communities because google believes in it and uh, actually i'm a uh, Personally speaking, I actually believe in this as well because mm-hmm. I'm part of it and I see the, the value those communities are bringing to me at right. first as a person, as a developer, but also to the to the local community. Right. So, so from that perspective, that's why we're definitely encouraging people to uh, check uh, check it out. There's like as a fun stats number, uh, there's uh, actually more than a thousand chapters across the world. Uh, there's GDG communities in 140 countries, mm-hmm. uh, plus the GDO that's the the global one. So um, for sure, people can check it out. I think the website is like I think if you just uh, search for uh, Google Developer Communities, you'll uh, end up in the right place. And they were definitely encouraging people to check it out and 
can enjoy. And one final thing I'd like to add on this is that it's not always only about um, Google stuff. So it's more about technology in general. So oftentimes we've had uh, talks on React or on tools that have been created by other companies in the, in the space. Right. And Google is helping us making sure this happens and making sure that we gather a community around us. And I think Daniele put it very well. I think it's a great experience to be part of them and both as organizers, as speakers and as participants and um yeah, connecting with the fellow developers. Yeah, I think it's a, doing this kind of uh, thing, both hosting these and even just attending these is super rewarding because I've been involved on in the iOS side of this a lot. And especially in the in the early days of iOS development, there could be an experience of, okay, I'm kind of in the wilderness. Like who else in Stockholm is even doing this? And then you find a group and it's like, okay, here are some people who are doing this. And it makes you feel, it gives you this sense of, okay, we have a we have a community. I'm not... I'm not just a crazy person believing that smartphones are going to be a thing, right? And of course, we're all beyond that now. But I think it's it's good to find this this group of people that you can feel this connection with, and you get this group feeling of yeah, that we are we share this, even though we're we're working for different companies, we have entirely different projects, we are in this together, and we're learning some stuff together, and we can help each other out. I think like uh, to share a bit of uh, my personal experience, one of the best events I've been at uh, in my entire developer. Um, life is uh, one of the hackathons we organized at GDG Bucharest uh, a while back. Uh, we basically had a, a two days uh, hackathon on the topic of helping the governmental health system. So over the, I think it was a span of 48 hours, many teams assembled and each of them worked on certain products that would help, let's say, the ambulance system, the firemen, police and all that. And it was a really, such a really great vibe. We managed to get in even the, I think it was the head of the Department of uh, Emergency Services in, in Romania. And he came and he got some people from the actual departments and we had really great conversations with people who had problems we as engineers had to find the solutions for them and we did it as a community together with our fellow um, with our fellow colleagues and it was a really lovely experience and it, really, it made, made me really proud to be part of uh, it yeah that's really nice to be able to be able to work on a problem that is beneficial to everybody without you know without having a commercial interest without having a thing of where we're pushing a product it's like I'm helping out with something. I, with other developers, have am trying to find a solution to problems. That's a great, that's a great feeling. Yeah, yeah. And going back just for a moment to this Google I/O Connect in Amsterdam, the great thing about it is to get the chance, the possibility to meet this uh, dev bros that Google has, uh, mm -hmm. people that are actively working on the platform in order mm -hmm. to bring it to move forward. And you know, it's not just like. I, I'm not saying it's like meeting Brad Pitt or Tom Cruise around the street. So they are <laughs> famous people, uh, my favorite actors, by the way. But it's still something really nice. Yeah. Sit together and talk together about techie stuff because usually you see these people remotely on YouTube yeah. mostly mm -hmm. and you don't even know anything about them. But then you sit together with them and you actually end up to talk even about football or sure. the weather or yeah. something else or how good the fries in Amsterdam are. So <laughs> this is really good as well. How good are the fries in Amsterdam? They are good. Okay, they good. are good. Right, Cosmin? Okay. They're good. Really good. <laughs> I'll have to go back someday and eat some fries. All right. Well, I think this is a good stopping point. Uh, Cosmin, Daniela, thank you both so much for joining us today. This has been episode two of a Shortcut Podcast. Our producer is Myra Carbone. 
Shortcut is an app development company with offices in Denmark, North Macedonia, Norway, Romania, and Sweden. At Shortcut, we make apps for life. For more information, visit us at www.shortcut.io. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.